0: Cole felt unseen. She experienced the type of loneliness that you experience when you're around people all the time, but you don't feel like anybody actually knows you. She was the mother of three young children, and she loved her kids, but raising them was just exhausting. And she loved her husband. But he was a college basketball coach and often gone on nights and weekends with his obligations and responsibilities with the team. And so that left her alone with these three children and it just wore her out. And that's when she started to drink. Just a little bit here and there at first, but then it became routine. And so every night as the kids would start winding down, she would have a few drinks. And then after they went to bed, she would have several more. And nobody knew because Nicole was unseen. She was the former Miss Wisconsin, so she always wanted to take care of her physical appearance, but after three children, the baby weight just kinda got the best of her. She was now living in Fargo, North Dakota with her family, and so there she signed up to the local YMCA to try to get back into shape. And that's where she met Ralph. Ralph was an older gentleman who worked at the check-in desk there at the Y. And Ralph had this very professional demeanor about him, but a beautiful smile. And he greeted everyone that came into the Y with a a sense of exuberance. He really wanted to connect with them and know what was going on in their lives. And Nicole was no different. And so every morning she walked in, he would greet her with, how's it going today, Nicole? And for Nicole, that simple greeting meant so much. You know, Ralph had no idea all that... Nicole was dealing with. He didn't know that she was struggling with depression. He didn't realize that most mornings she came to the gym hungover. But Ralph genuinely cared for her and showed Nicole kindness. Even taking the step uh, one time of reaching out to her because he hadn't seen her for several weeks when she was out of town. And it was that small but intentional act of kindness that Ralph showed Nicole that for the first time let her feel like she was seen. You know, I I think about that little interaction that Ralph and Nicole had, and what's amazing to me is how sometimes just even small and subtle interactions we have with others can make a true and lasting impact in our own lives. And that makes me think actually of Jesus, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus had oftentimes really brief interactions with people that made an eternal impact in their lives. In fact, what we know about Jesus is recorded for us in the Gospels, in in Matthew and Mark and Luke and in John, and it's a relatively short amount of Scripture. And in those interactions, we see that Jesus interacted with a number of people, and most of those interactions were really, really short. In fact, there's been some researchers who have uh, gone and and they've read through the interactions that Jesus has had with, with people that's recorded for us in Scripture. And what they found is that on average, the interactions that we have in Scripture of Jesus were less than a minute. It was like 45 seconds of time that Jesus interacted with these people, but those 45 seconds transformed their life. Now, to be sure, uh the scripture is giving us highlights of Jesus' interaction with people. He certainly spent longer than just 45 seconds with others. But but here's the thing: if you or I had an interaction face to face with Jesus in our life, even 40 seconds with, her, with him would, would make a profound difference. We talk about it for the rest of our lives because this is God in the flesh that's interacting with us. And what that tells us and what it teaches us is that when we're intentional about how we show up to interactions and conversations with people, it can actually make a difference. And so that's why Pastor Dale and I, for the next four weeks, want to do this brand new series called First Impressions, because we want to help all of us find really practical ways to have intentional interactions with others that can transform their lives, but can also transform our own. And helping people really understand very practical ways of being like Jesus was one of the reasons the Apostle Paul wrote the letter Ephesians. He was trying to help the church in Ephesus understand practically how to live as followers of Jesus. And so today we're going to be uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 17 of that passage of Scripture. So Ephesians chapter 4, and in this letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he's really stressing for us what it means for us to show up into the culture in which we live as followers of Jesus. So here's here's how, or what Paul writes in, in verse 17. He says this, he says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the, in the, as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So for Paul, he is saying, I'm insisting on this. What I'm about ready to tell you is so important. It's not optional. This is not good advice. It's not like if you get around to it. Paul is saying, this is so important. I am insisting. This is how you are now to live. Don't be like everybody else. He said that the Gentile, he's talking about the culture out there uh, in the world, he's saying, don't live in the futility of their thinking. That's a great word. Futility kind of has that sense of uselessness. He's saying, listen, everybody in culture, they they kind of think and they behave in, in a way that's actually not helpful. It's not meaningful. Don't be like them. He says that they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their heart because they have sin in their life. They're separated from God. They they just, they don't even think the way God thinks. They, They don't understand who God is. They have a different worldview. And then he says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensualities so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. Now, when Paul's writing this, he is not just ripping on culture. He's not complaining about how awful everybody is around him, but what he's trying to do is he's saying, listen, the people in culture that don't know Jesus, they don't have a relationship with God, and so they don't act like it. And we shouldn't expect them to act like it. That they're different because they're separated from God. But he's saying to the church, but you're to be different than everybody else around you. Which is why he continues with this in verse 20. He said, that however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. He said, you were taught with regard to your former way. He's like, listen, we were all like culture. All of us were like that at one point before we knew God. But he said, now, now you're different. So what you're supposed to do is in regard to your former way of life, put it off. Put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And then he says this, and to put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. So what Paul is telling us there is he's saying, you were created in Christ to be like God. And actually that's what we've been spent the last month here at Wooddale Church talking about. Uh, We we had been in a series on God's big story, and we spent so much time in the first just couple chapters of Genesis because that whole thing begins with saying God created us to be like him, to be his image, to be his representation to the world. And, And Paul is saying, in Christ, you're to do that. You're to be like God to the world around you. Don't be like everybody else. And then, Because Paul wants us to to understand how to do this, he gets super practical for us. So in in verse 25 uh, through 32, he just lists all the real practical ways that we're supposed to be different from the world around us. Just, Just listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. So, so stop stop lying, and speak truthfully. Then in verse 26, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down when you're angry. Verse 28, he says, don't steal anymore. If you've been stealing, stop stealing. And now you have to start working for things to, to help and, and be helpful to others. In verse 29, he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building up others. Verse 30, he says not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 31, he says, get rid. So all the stuff, we're not supposed to do this. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, brawling and slander and every form of malice. Paul's saying, don't be this way anymore. And then he says in verse 32, but instead, be kind. That's how we're different. That's how we're to be different from the world around us. Don't be like everybody else. Paul is saying, be like Jesus. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. We're supposed to be kind. You know, kindness is an attribute of uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And kindness is how God has treated us. And kindness is a really important concept for us as followers of Jesus. In fact, we spent an entire series on this a little over a year ago here at Wooddale Church. I know many of you are new uh, to Wooddale in the last year. And so if you missed that series, I would encourage you to go back and watch it. It was called The Different Kind of Christmas. And we talked a lot about what Scripture teaches us about kindness. Let me just kind of catch you up though if you missed that series or to remind many of us about the things that we talked about. One of the things that we learn from Scripture about kindness is that kindness is not the same thing as being nice. Those things are different. That to be kind does not mean to be nice. Nice is uh, superficial. Nice is a little shallow. Nice feels good, but nice doesn't really have any value. Right? God never calls us to be nice, but God calls us to be kind. There's a depth and a complexity to kindness. Right? Nice is like what we do in Minnesota. We're like Minnesota nice. But Christians are to be kind. Well, what's the difference? How how do you distinguish between nice and kind? Well, one of the elements of kindness, and this is the second thing we learn about it, is that kindness includes being full of grace, but also being full of truth. And we actually get that from Jesus himself. It was one of Jesus' earliest followers, John, who in his gospel says that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. That Jesus was 100% grace and 100% truth. And what we talked about in that series, and those of you that may remember, I actually had some jars on stage and kind of splashed water all over the place because I said oftentimes we're not. Oftentimes we're either grace or we're truth. And we kind of waffle back and forth between the two, at least I do in my life. I, there are certain moments where I'm like super gracious to others and I kind of like, like I, I, maybe, maybe I shield the truth a little bit, but, th- but then I have these moments where I'm like all truth, no grace, and I come off just way too harsh for people. We kind of go back and forth. And, and we talk that some of us lean to the grace side and some of us lean to the truth side, but the reality is if you are kind, you are both gracious and truthful completely at the same time, which is really hard. It's so often it's like, well, what does that even look like in a, in an interaction with somebody? And we have a great example in Jesus. So let me share with you a very brief interaction that Jesus had with somebody. It's, it's recorded for us in Mark chapter 10. It, it also begins in verse 17. Let me just read this for you. Uh, this interaction with this man that Jesus had was short. I mean, probably less than a minute. But look at the impression that Jesus gives this man and how kind he is to him. Here, here's the situation. Uh, Mark 10, 17, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell at his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You might be saying, where's the kindness in that story? Well, the kindness is all over the place because Jesus responds to this man in a way that's truthful but is so filled with grace. I mean, here's the setup. This guy is telling Jesus, who is God in the flesh, that he has kept every single one of God's commandments ever since he was a boy, which is not true because none of us, aside from Jesus, have kept all the commandments. And Jesus knows that because he's God. Can you imagine telling God that you've never sinned? Can you imagine telling God you've never broken any of the commandments since childhood? I mean, I cannot imagine that. None of us can. And yet he has the audacity to say that to Jesus. And Jesus, if he was no grace, all truth could have just ripped him. He could have been like, oh, really? You've kept all the commandments, have you? Let's start. Honor your father and mother. What about the time you rolled your eyes at your mom? What about the time you talked back to your dad? What about the time you complained to your friends about your parents? How about false testimony? How about that time last week when you were telling a story to your neighbors and you told most of the story, but you didn't tell the whole story and you left out a few of the parts that would have made you look not as good. That was false testimony. You failed that commandment. How about adultery? I know the way you look at one of your neighbors. I know the thoughts that have gone through your mind. You failed there. I mean, he could have gone point by point through every commandment and in a full truth on, just told the guy how he failed. But he didn't. But he also wasn't nice about it. I mean, if Jesus would have just been a, a nice rabbi, he would have said something meaningless and kind of, you know, feel good like, oh, thanks for the question. So glad you're interested in eternal life and uh, just so proud of you for trying to keep all those commandments. And, you know, since childhood, great job. And, uh, you know, keep asking those, those questions and keep seeking after God and hope you find the eternal life you're looking for. That's nice, not helpful, it's not truthful, but it's nice. But Jesus wasn't nice, but he was full of grace. Because instead of just ripping the guy, he didn't leave the error unchallenged, but he did it in a way that was really helpful for the man. Because he goes, okay, you've kept all the commandments. I tell you what, let's just start with commandment number one. You know what commandment number one is? Have no other gods before me. So if you have no other gods before God, then this should be easy. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. Because if you have no other gods, you'll do whatever God says. So sell everything. And the guy couldn't do it because he had another God in front of God. It was his money. It was all his possessions. It was himself. And Jesus pointed that out to him in a way that was truthful, but in a way that was filled with grace. He was kind because, see, now the man knew his core issue. And you say, but Kyle, he was kind. He went away sad. Well, he, yeah, he went away sad because he realized that he had another God in front of God. But he went away with something that was useful. The scripture never tells us what happened to this man. I've often wondered. You know, when when you realize that you have something in front of God that ultimately is is not gonna lead you to anything eternal, it starts to lose its luster. I've often wondered, did this guy walk away from this conversation with Jesus and did he change? Did he decide that he was gonna sell his possessions and, and truly pursue God? Again, scripture doesn't say we don't know, but what I do know is the man had a chance to do that because Jesus, in a very kind way, Pointed out to him his core issue. And so, in that way, kindness is useful. Kindness is useful because it helps us, it adds value to our life. And that's the third and the final element about kindness that we need to know. It's it's, it's more than being nice, it's different than being nice. Uh, That kindness is full of grace, it's full of truth, and kindness is useful. Which means, if we are to ask the question, are we being kind? Am I being kind? A couple questions to ask ourselves is just this. Is what I'm doing useful? Is what I am saying useful? Is, Is it full of grace? Is it full of truth? And is it useful? Is it helpful? Is it adding value to someone's life? And often that's where I struggle when it comes to kindness. Because oftentimes I will say things that I think are truthful, but I will do it in a way that ultimately isn't that useful. In fact, it happened relatively recently. We, we had a situation here uh, with some of our staff. It was actually a morning that I was preaching, which just makes it worse, and I came into church and I was all focused on the message and what needed to happen, and, and earlier that week I had talked with our staff about something at one of our campuses. There, there was some stuff that was set up in a way and I just, I, I had, you know, made some comments to them, and hey, can we change this, and I just thought they were going to change it in the way that I thought they were gonna change it. And I walked in and, and, it, and it wasn't changed the way I thought it, it, it should have been changed. And so our, our team had a huddle that morning, and, and I, I made a comment in the huddle of like, "Hey, this doesn't look good. We got to change it before everybody comes into service." And, and then it happened. And then I just kind of, you know, went on my way to go preach my sermon and, and went home and didn't think anything else of it. And later that week, one of our other pastors, whom I have just tremendous respect for, and he was so kind to me, in, in a way that was very truthful but also full of grace. He came to me and he said, "Hey, remember that little interaction Sunday morning b- b- with our staff, but before?" Services started, he said, hey, let, me, let me tell you the rest of the story. He said, what I, what I don't think you know is that after you made some of those initial comments the week before to the staff, they had actually met and they had a plan and they had a whole idea about some things that they wanted to try and they were gonna experiment with. And, and he said, I, I just didn't think you knew that. And I didn't know that. And I didn't know that because I never stopped to ask. And I just told them in a way that was, you know, all truth, this is what needs to happen. And when I realized that I was really unkind to them in that moment and they felt bad, they felt embarrassed, they felt unheard. The next day I had, I had to pull that staff together and, and I got them in a room and I just said, gang, I'm sorry, I was wrong, uh, I wasn't kind to you, I, I didn't listen, I didn't understand what you were trying to do, uh, um, I, I, I missed it, and, and I'm, I'm sure sorry. And we had some great conversations and they kinda of brought me up to speed on their thinking and, and it, was just, it was just a moment that I missed. You know, what what could have happened is I could have come in and I could have asked some better questions. I could have learned a little bit and I would have heard their perspective. They could have heard a little bit of mine and together we could have had a really helpful conversation and made even a better decision that would have been useful, but we missed it because I wasn't kind in that moment. I was just focused on me and what I thought I needed to do in the day. And here's the deal, gang. I, I know I'm not the only one that struggles with being kind. In fact, there's kind of been this, like, pandemic of unkindness in our culture. And do you remember 2020? Yeah, it's hard to bring it up, but do you remember 2020? I mean, there was just a lot of weird stuff that happened in our culture. And, and we had a week here at Wooddale Church in, in the fall of 2020 that I probably will never forget because of, of the polarizing messages we received uh, that week that were just unkind. Uh, we, we got a letter early in the week. It was an email, actually, from somebody that had attended services on Sunday. And I, do you remember, for those of you that were at part of our, our church or part of a church uh, during the fall of 2020, there was, we had mass that were going on and mass mandates and people were sitting kind of every other row. And it was just, it was just a, kind of a different time. And somebody had come into one of our services and they'd sat through the service and they, they saw somebody in in one of our our venues, uh, take a mask off, actually two people take a mask off during the service. And uh, in this letter, they wrote to us, they said, we noticed that nobody from Wooddale did anything. You didn't get up on stage and and correct that person. You didn't remove them from service. You allowed them to be there. And um, they, they said, listen, because of that, because you're not taking this seriously enough, there are vulnerable people that are at your church or that are at our church, that are going to die because you're not taking this seriously enough. You are killing people. So we're never coming back to Wooddale Church. We're done, we're gone. We're gonna go find a church that is a real church that actually loves people. That was the email they received. And then a couple of days later, we got another one. They were in the same service. And this person wrote in and they said, I was so offended this weekend at service because people are wearing masks. And they shouldn't wear masks. And they're sitting every other row. And they shouldn't sit every other row. The church is supposed to be together. And then in the hallway, I saw a bunch of the staff who wore masks when they were walking around. And no church that actually believes in the Bible should ever do those things. You are all cowards. You're just doing what you're told. You're not standing on the truth. You don't even trust God. You may not even be believers. So we're leaving Wooddale. We're never coming back. And we're going to go find a real church. They were in the same service. Now, listen, don't email me about this, okay? Because we've thought so much about masks and I don't want to talk about it anymore. But the point in this is they're in the same service. They had two totally different reactions. But gang, neither one of them were kind because it wasn't useful. I mean, you get emails like that calling you either a coward or a killer. That's not exactly fodder for great and productive dialogue. And neither one of them actually wanted to talk. They just wanted to speak their truth and then be gone. Folks, that's not kindness. And here's the issue. I get it. I get it because it was a weird time. I mean, how many of us had a conversation in 2020 that we want back? I know I have several of them because it was just a strange time and we had some strange thinking. But folks, I'm seeing this increase in our culture. It's not just pandemic stuff. It's everything. I mean, you spend any time on on social media, or in the comment section of news articles. And and, and there is a lot of uh, of direct commentary, a lot of cancel culture, a lot of I'm gonna speak my truth and I don't care how harsh it comes out. And there's become this mindset, even among people who are believers, that when we disagree with people on issues that matter, it's okay to be unkind and mean-spirited because they disagree with things that we consider to be truth. And folks, let me just say this. That's how our culture behaves. But that's not how we're supposed to behave as Christians. Paul tells us in Ephesians, be different from people around you. Don't be like everybody else. Don't get caught up in that. That's how you used to be. That's how you used to think. We are to be different. We are to be kind. And gang, I have just wondered, Man, if, if we could have some of those moments back in 2020 and 2021, and if we as believers would have showed up in a more kind way, could we have had a really big impact in our culture? And you may say, well, Kyle, I, I don't know about that. I, I You know, I don't think kindness is the way to get there. I mean, I think when, when people disagree on things that are issues and, and they don't agree with the truth, we can't show up kind. We have to be strong. Yeah, but you don't understand. See, kindness is strength. It, it takes strength to be kind. And kindness is useful because kindness is what changes people. Do you know how I know that? Because Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that when God wants us to change, he chooses to be kind. That it is God's kindness that leads people, that leads us, to repentance that the kindness is what is the catalyst for change. So if we wanna be like God, we need to be kind because that is actually what is useful in changing people. So how do we do that? Practically speaking, how can we be kind? Let me just leave you with three real practical steps that I believe we can do to be kind. The first actually deals when we disagree with people because right now we do disagree with culture on a lot of things and disagreeing, you can still be kind and disagree. It's important for us to speak truth, but we need to do this. We need to disagree without being disagreeable, right? We need to specifically, we need to disagree with, with, with really with, without, without offending people. Uh, it's important for us to, to engage people in a way that recognizes and remembers that they're still made in the image of God. And that we need to treat them with all sorts of kind, uh, kindness and, and with respect. So how do we do that? Well, really practically speaking, I, I think uh, one of the ways that we can do that is a great phrase. In fact, this phrase has helped me so much learn how we can disagree uh, without being, um, you know, disagreeable uh, to others. And, and, and the great phrase that, that, that we have here is the simple phrase, help me understand. I love the phrase, help me understand. Help me understand just kind of lowers the temperature and allows us to disagree uh, without offending people, without making it personal. And you can use it all over the place, right? So rather than than show up to to your office and go into a work meeting and say, uh, hey, why didn't you approve my budget? Do this, help me understand. Hey, help me understand why the budget didn't get approved. That just kind of softens it a little bit, right? It just kind of opens the door for dialogue and conversation. You can use it in the home, right? Hey kids, help me understand why these dishes didn't get put away. I mean, it can even help you with the political conversation you have with your crazy uncle, right? Instead of just going in and being like, who believes that? Why in the world would you believe that policy? You can go in and just be like, hey, help me understand why that policy would be helpful for us in this country. It's a great phrase for us to be able to have grace-filled and truth-filled conversations that can be useful, and we can disagree with people. So help me understand, great phrase to use. Now here's another one that we can do to just be kind. And this is one that we can use with our Adopt7, which you heard a little bit earlier in the service here today about Adopt7. And it's simply the idea of ask the extra question. Ask the extra question. Most of the conversations I have with my neighbors kind of go something like this. I'm like, hey, how you doing? They're like, hey, how you doing? How's work? Good, how about you? Good. Kind of cold out, sure is. And then we kind of go our separate ways. But what if you ask the extra question? Hey, how's work going? Yeah, good. Hey, tell me, what's one thing you're really excited about when it comes to work these days? Nobody asks the extra question. But that extra question communicates that you care about the person. It communicates that you're interested in what's going on in their world, and it opens the door to have all sorts of really helpful conversations. So pick a few of the people on your Adopt7, and when you find them this week, you see them this week, just commit, I'm going to ask them the extra question to try to engage them and pull them into a conversation. And then here's the third and the final one. See the unseen. There are unseen people around us all the time. Uh, Maybe it's it's somebody who's experiencing homelessness that you drive by on your way to the office. Maybe it's a cashier or somebody that's at the checkout where uh, you're buying something. There's probably people in your office that are unseen, that people just kind of don't appreciate what they do for the organization or the corporation. Or in your your school, there's there's students who are unseen. They sit by themselves at the lunchroom and they kind of walk the halls and feel like they're, they're not known or they're not seen. We have unseen people all over the place. This week, look for those who are unseen. And when you find them, see them. Make eye contact, smile. Say something encouraging to them. Engage them in conversation. Let them know that you see them as a human being. That simple act of seeing those who feel unseen is an act of kindness, and it can unlock all sorts of possibilities. You know how I know? Because that's what Ralph did for Nicole. Because in that season of feeling unseen, that simple act of kindness that he showed her every morning she came to the YMCA changed her life. Actually, that level of kindness led her to repentance. Because Nicole is a follower of Jesus. And when she experienced that kindness of Ralph, she realized that this is the type of life she wanted to leave and and, and live. And so she decided that she was gonna stop drinking and she was gonna commit herself to kindness. And not only did it transform Nicole's life, it gave her a whole new career. Because today, Nicole writes a syndicated column in several states here in the United States about kindness. She actually has several books that she's published on kindness. She has a podcast and a blog, and she travels the country speaking to people and many churches about how kindness can transform their life as it transformed And it all started with a simple but intentional act of kindness. So here's my challenge for us this week. In every one of the conversations that we have this week, let's commit ourselves that in the first 45 seconds of that conversation, we are going to be kind. And by doing that, we are being Jesus to the people around us. And that will bring a change that we would love to see to our own communities. Let me pray for us. Father God, I'm just so thankful for you. Father, I'm so thankful for how kind you have been to us. Lord, you have not treated us as our sin deserves. But Father, you have showed yourself to be kind. And the kindness that you have showed to us has transformed our lives. So, Father, I pray that you would go with us. Lord, this week you would help us to be kind to others as you have been kind to us. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.